The Old Testament reading is from Genesis chapter 29, verses 15 to 28. Jacob marries Laban's daughters. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were lovely, and Rachel was graceful and beautiful. Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter Rachel. Laban said, It's better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her maid. And when morning came, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, This is not done in our country, giving the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and then we will give you the other, also in return for serving me for another seven years. Jacob did so, and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, as a wife. The New Testament reading is from Matthew, chapter 13. Jesus put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous, and throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all this? They answered, Yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. This is is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, my God.
Of course, the usual caveat applies. Nevertheless, I find preparing these talks allow me to be very reflective of the different issues and themes. And today's scripture is no different. I will focus my talk on the gospel reading. There is a lot to talk and think about here, not least the nature of the parables themselves. It is probably useful in the first instance to ponder on why Jesus uses parables in his ministry. There needs to be some context here. Firstly, Jesus' use of parables was a distinct departure from his previous way of conveying his message, notably the Sermon of the Mount. Indeed, the difference did not escape the notice of the disciples. Secondly, it is useful to recall what happened in the preceding two chapters, chapter 12, chapter 11 and chapter 12, which we heard about in the previous weeks. Both two chapters provide us with very useful context or insight for the use of parables in chapter 13. In both these chapters, we find Jesus railing against those who reject not just him, but also John the Baptist and his own disciples. In chapter 11, Jesus rebukes those who rejected John the Baptist, the one who came to pave the way. He also rebukes those who do not repent following John's and Jesus' ministry. He praises those who received his message and, of course, he invites those who feel heavy laden to come to him. Matthew chapter 12 is notable for the religious leaders of the day rejecting Jesus and he, in turn, is protesting against those who reject him and his disciples. His frustration was very clear to see. It is in this context that we begin to understand his response to his disciples when they ask why he preaches using parables. The parables are not merely illustrations that make difficult concepts clear to all. It is, of course, that. More importantly, they present God's message so that the spiritually sensitive can understand, but the hardened would merely hear a simple, innocuous story without heaping condemnation or rejecting God's word. In this case, through Jesus' ministry. In the context of the preceding chapters, 
it is perfectly understandable and indeed necessary. The use of parables for the purpose of illustrating to the spiritually sensitive has broader has a broader implication in the context of spiritual discourse. Some of you may have come across the notion of Athens versus Jerusalem as representing different forms of philosophical discourse. Much of it pertains to a type of philosophical inquiry. To put it simply, the concept Athens here refers to human disposition or character depicting a life free of free inquiry, while Jerusalem refers to human character which depicts a life of humble obedience to God's law. I would put this distinction in a nutshell as Jerusalem implies that our reason and understanding is deeply rooted in our faith rather than our faith being deeply rooted in our reasoning and understanding. We can see why Jesus was adamant that his use of parables was to distinguish between the spiritually sensitive and the hardened. Indeed, the parable of the sower reinforces this. Looking at the parables themselves, they provide us with valuable insights into what the kingdom of heaven will look like. Like a mustard seed that grows into a fruitful tree and a hidden treasure that is worth for us to give up everything else for. Nevertheless, the message in the parables, at least for me, contain uncomfortable truths too. The parable of the dragnet or net describes the kingdom of heaven as one that divides the good from the bad. This is how it will be at the end of age of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where we will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I've also found this a difficult and uncomfortable passage, not least because it seems on the surface to contradict the Pauline notion of justification by faith, Ephesians 2, 8-9. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourself, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Of course, these are not really conflicting issues. When 
we know we are already saved and our faith and spiritual sensitivity motivates our reasoning and understanding. Thereby we are compelled to be fruitful like the mustard seed. Probably the most important caveat or indeed message Jesus leaves his disciples with following the parables can be found in verse 52. Christ compares a good preacher or scribe of the gospel to a good householder who brings last year's fruits as well as this year's. Old experiences and new observations. Even though our reasoning and understanding is deeply rooted in our faith, it does not mean that we do not consider new lessons and perspectives alongside the old ones. We grow and are fruitful when we continue to learn, and in this case the nature of God, as we deepen our faith. The usual caveat about what I say is from my own perspective and understanding, not as a trained theologian, is especially poignant for what I'm about to say. I would like to share this with you because I know the goodness of your hearts. I would like to take the opportunity to talk about something that has preoccupied my mind recently. We have all endured over the past few months with this pandemic and it has not been any different for Liz and I. It has mostly been fine with the occasional wobble. But really, I want to share with you my thoughts and experiences of a larger pandemic, if you like, that has been with us for a much longer time. Recent events starting in the US with the murder of George Floyd, which triggered a global protest against racial injustice in all its form, brought back many unpleasant memories for me. It brought back memories of my growing up in Singapore, and of course, the last 35 years living in the UK. First as a student, and then as an academic economist. I remember the frequent, almost daily, microaggressions I would face from fellow students and subsequently my colleagues to the occasional overt racism, such as when I was confronted by a group of skinheads. I also remembered, with some bittersweet memories, my involvement with the student anti-apartheid movement in the mid-late 1980s. I suppose 
in its own way the forerunner of the current Black Lives Matter movement. Given my experiences, I cannot help but ponder about what all of this means for us as a Thanthomas family. Are we above this human failure and do we have anything to learn from it? Maybe a few of my recent experiences could be helpful. Not long ago, a member of the congregation asked me if I was intending to visit my family in Salon. I replied that I have no family ties there and it is called Sri Lanka now and has been for the past 40 odd years. I do not wish to go into detail except to say we may have memories that go beyond 40 years. Nevertheless, it is not acceptable for us to refer to the name of a place that the locals do not wish to be associated with any longer. Indeed, by referring to someone or some place by the name they choose is to show them respect. Just the other week, someone repeated a joke his grandfather used to say that would only that could only be construed as being racially insensitive. It may or may not have been acceptable during their grandfather's day, but it was rather painful to hear and not acceptable, especially in the current circumstances. A few months ago, a couple who are part of our regular congregation very excitedly told us, Liz and I, about their recent trip to South Africa. They were very keen to tell us how the visit they visited a black township and attended a church where they were the only white people. I'm not really sure why they were making these points. Maybe they thought they were being very progressive or they thought they were very brave. I just wanted to reply, but of course did not. Well, I worship regularly in a church where I'm the only non-white person. What does that say about me? Am I being brave, a novelty, or even progressive? To be perfectly honest, I'm very sure that I'm all of the above. I feel part of the St. Thomas family in every sense, because for most of my adult life, I have tried, not always successfully, to form relationships based on emotional and spiritual connections. I feel welcome and at home in the form of service, the churchmanship of in St. Thomas, 
and spiritual openness by which we exhibit our faith. But let's not be complacent. At times we falsely, albeit sincerely, think we are being progressive. Being liberal does not always equate to being inclusive. We need to be intentional if we wish to be truly inclusive. We are all products of privilege of one sort or another. Of course, privilege takes many different forms and guises, but none more so than the unique form of white privilege. I do believe when Christ told his disciples to grow and be fruitful, by being open to new perspectives and understanding. He really meant that they have meaningful and deep experiences and relationships with all those who are not like themselves. While his disciples mostly came from very humble backgrounds, they were very proud practicing Jews with perspectives and desires that wish to distinguish themselves from Gentiles to the point of possibly excluding them. Indeed, the Gospel of Matthew, which we have been following most of the current church calendar, was written for the Jewish people. Fortunately, we are all direct beneficiaries of Jesus' disciples, led by the Holy Spirit, desire to be inclusive and spread the word to all the nations. Amen. Father, we thank you for the support of our churches in Whitcomb through these difficult and challenging times. We appreciate the encouragements to prayer and the support of our faith. We gain strength through helping each other and gain through the benefits of pulling together as a community. Your blessing is empowering for all who teach and minister in your name. Lord of all creation, Teach us in your ways. Whilst we struggle with the challenges and limitations of our new lifestyles, help us not to lose sight of the beauty and diversity of the world around us. For many, the lockdown provided a chance to slow the pace of life and reevaluate priorities. Give us the determination to build on this and make the changes necessary to improve our environment and to mitigate our impact on the world's resources. We ask for a spirit and will to share more equally the assets of the planet, to listen to the weak as to the strong, to the poor as to the wealthy and powerful. 
Lord of all creation, teach us in your ways. Father, we thank you for the joy and benefit of friends and family. Our enforced time apart has taught us to value these relationships more. Help us to build on this new understanding and teach us to listen and to address the concern of others. Lord of all creation, teach us in your ways. We pray for all those involved in medical research and development, and particularly those worldwide trying to develop vaccines for COVID-19. We ask for care and compassion, comfort and reassurance to be extended to all in physical and mental distress. We thank and pray for all involved in the vital work of caring for others. Lord of all creation, teach us in your ways. We pray for those who have died and those who have been bereaved, for those who've died alone, for those known and unknown to us. We ask that they may all experience your mercy and the everlasting peace and joy of heaven. Merciful Father, accept these prayers for the sake of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.